Ever waddle to the bathroom after sex? Towel between your legs? Desperately trying to keep the freshly delivered load from dripping down your leg and onto your hardwood? Well, worry no more. Awkward Essentials introduces the drip stick, or as I like to call it, the cum sponge. This medical grade sponge sucks up jizz before it sneaks onto your sheets. Visit awkwardessentials.com today and use my code WYP for a 10% discount. They offer numerous products for all types of fun fluids. Keep your shorts semen free and use my code today. That's WYP and save 10%. Awkward Essentials, making bodily fluids less awkward. What's Your Position podcast may contain adult themes, sexual discussions, and strong language. We want everyone to be educated, but we are intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. On today's episode, we talk with Courtney, who is a relationship coach and author. She has a brand new book out, Not Tonight, Honey, and we're going to discuss women's desire with her. Welcome, fellow humans, to a full frontal episode of What's Your Position podcast. Today, we are joined by Courtney. Welcome, Courtney, all the way from Germany. Yes, thank you, Ashley. I'm so excited to be here. Yay! Danke, Shane, for being Ooh, here. Yes, danke. <laughs> Bitte. Uh, guten Tag. Yeah, that's how you say hello? Uh, yes, gu- guten Tag means good day. Mm-hmm. Gu- good guten Tag. Tag. Well, it's actually evening, so how do I say good evening to you? Guten Abend. Guten Abend. Yeah. Awesome. I'm learning all these new fun I know. Good job. I'm I'm so excited that you're here with us all the way from Germany um, discussing your new book and discussing women's desire. Uh, We are also joined by husband, Kevin Weller. Hello, all. Hello. He is. He's over there. Hi, Kevin. (laughs) Super excited to have you. Say say guten Abend. Thank you. Struggle with... I struggle with English. German is not uh, something. We always go on vacation um, and we go to like, we've been to a ton of different countries. Uh, We're obsessed with Europe. We're obsessed with the Mediterranean. We need to get the fuck out of that area because we've seen all of it and we need to go and see other things. But um, every time we go to another country, we try to learn um, the things that help you get through a market or a restaurant. And we want to try yeah, and you want to try and be nice and like learn yes. the other countries' phrases of of need, hello, goodbye, thank you, how much? Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I we tried to learn Italian for like two years, and we did transactional we Italian. Yeah, we were fine in restaurants and like wow. buying stuff, but I have forgotten all of it. Mm. I have not. I know. I know all the swear words still. Oh, ooh, the, what's a German swear word? Ooh, uh, I'm trying to think. I don't know. My kids would know. Isn't that terrible? Um, <laughs> my kids are fluent. So they, they always are like, don't say that mom. Don't say that. Don't say that. Don't like, say that. Don't say that. Word. What does that mom, mean? Don't. Yeah. You're like, ah, oh, crap. Um, yeah. well, welcome. Oh, Shiza. Shiza. That's the popular Shiza. one. Sorry. I actually Shiza. knew that. Yeah. yeah. It means shit, right? Shit. Yeah, Shiza. it does. Shiza. Yeah. 
I always want to put my fist in the air when I speak German. <laughs> it emphasizes it more. Um, oh, absolutely. So, Courtney, well, why are you in Germany? Why are you living there? What's going on over there? Yeah, so my husband's active duty army, and so we're stationed here. Oh, okay. When did you move there? Three and a half years ago. And your kids are already fluent in German? Yes, we had them um, immerse them in the German school system. So they sink or swim. <laughs> so, so far, they're swimming. <clears throat> yeah. There you go. Scheiße. Yep. Scheiße yep. or get off the pot. Um, exactly. Okay. Actually, that's from a, that's from beer fest. That is. That's yes. a hilarious movie. Sorry. It's uh, okay. So we, uh, we wanted you to come on the show. Our dear friend, me and you have a mutual friend, which is really yes. fucking odd. So yes. As many of my listeners know, or as some may not, I'm part of a book club. Uh, one of the episodes from the last last season was with Lauren, the president of the book club, and she talked about her journey um, with bisexuality and her journey with addiction. It's a great episode. Um, go check it out if you can. Okay. Yeah. In that book club is a wonderful woman named Jamie. And yes. Jamie is also an author, and my book club has read all three of her books, which happen to be about the Pacific Northwest and Seattle mm -hmm. and, like, in the 1800s. So, like, old, old Seattle. Yeah. Um, very women-empowering women and um, great books. And Jamie, who is amazing, told you, right? She sent you a message and yep. said you should see about being on, on Ashley's podcast because yeah. Jamie listens to the podcast. And then they... Turns out, Courtney lived in Seattle, too, growing up. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she's from, so all my Washington peeps, it's like the majority of our listeners come from California, but then the next highest state that listens to us is Washington, because that's where, like, yeah. my whole family is from and all of my friends from high school, so. But you notice a trend, right? What? What? Everybody leaves. Everybody leaves. Yeah. Yeah. Even yeah that's my a true statement. Size, my my whole dad's side of the family is from the Seattle area and most of the Midwest. Yeah. Gotten out. Yeah. I mean, it's expensive and it's rainy. And it's, it's gorgeous there, but it's, it's yeah, so beautiful. Yep. Mm -hmm. How's Germany? What's it like? Um, it's actually, I think it's a lot. I compared a lot to Seattle. It's really green oh. and I'm looking out my window right now. There's a lot of, we live in a really cute little village. It's got like green hills and, um, <gasps> are there yeah. cobblestone streets? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yes. Lots uh, of cobblestone streets. Yep. Sploosh. Yeah. I'm obsessed. Are there alleyways, like really beautiful, like intricate alleyways oh, with like yes. porticos hanging over and vines and shit? See, the yes. between the United, mm. United States and uh, Europe, obviously there's the history is much different, right? Because it goes back much further. Fuck yeah. But like in the United there. States, they mm -hmm. just wreck things if they don't want that building there anymore and they build something brand new. Europe will repurpose right any structure yep. to be something else instead of just knocking it down yeah so you go there yep. and there's so much history and so much beautiful architecture they're like oh, oh this was a roman bathhouse yes. not anymore it's a bank yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. perfect uh, so courtney has spent spent a great deal of her career focusing on how to have couples infuse passion and purpose into their lives um she also is part of, this is a fascinating fact. You play football over in Germany, like football, football, or like soccer, football, like what kind of football? It's like soccer, football. So the S word here is like, you can't say soccer here. You have to call it either foosball, foosball, which is what they call it in German or football, which is what they call it everywhere else in Europe. 
That's so exciting. How long have you been on a, uh, is it co-ed? No, it's a, it's a women's league. It's, um, we're in, it's the Londis Liga. And so I've been playing for about three years now. Very cool. Did you play soccer back home? I did. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I am not athletically inclined, so I would not be joining any of this. (laughs) Yeah. What, what position do you play? (laughs) I play like stopper. So like in between defense and midfield. Okay. All right. I don't know what that means. Okay. I have no idea. Okay. It's okay. No fucking no. You're like, great. That sounds Uh, awesome. That sounds so good. That sounds really, really great. I'm really happy for Uh, you. (laughs) I'm so excited for your stopping abilities. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tell us a little bit about um, your book. Tell us the premise. Tell us the idea behind it, why you wrote it. Tell us a little bit about your book. Gosh. So first I want to apologize. I have a little bit of a cold. (laughs) I have three kids and I feel like they're just constantly Petri dishes of infection. Mm. And so I was like, awesome. This is really great. I thank you guys for giving me this timing. So nice of you. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So just, I'm very sorry for that. Um, but yeah, so I used to work with a business coach a few years ago and she kept saying, Courtney, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. And I was like, ah, this is like a lot of work. Like, I don't know. And she's like, but you just have such a great way of conveying these really important concepts in such an educational and empowering way that most people don't when it comes to sex. And so that really sat with me for a long time. And I thought, okay, well, I don't know, maybe we'll see. And then COVID hit and I was like, you know, Mm. went to survival mode because I need a hobby. Yeah. Right. And, um, and so then last year I finally was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So I heard a book coach and was like, a book coach. What's a a book book coach? coach? Uh, A book coach is somebody who coaches you through the writing process. So I knew the way that I work. I don't know. Do you know anything about like human design? Do you you know human design? Okay. Um, So human design is like one way of kind of like looking at how people are, you know, put together personalities and um, it takes like different elements of like astrology and the I Ching and the um, Kabbalah. Anyways, so I'm a generator. And one of the things that happens with a generator is that we respond. So it's hard for me to just sit down and get started at something. But if mm. I have someone who's asking me questions and like facilitating and get, like lighting that fire under me, I can go, 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 go. It's so, like this conversation so, here is great because yeah. that facilitates my ability to convey things. Cause you're giving me prompts, questions, prompts, yes. right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. How, how long, so does the, does the book coach offer you suggestions on like how many chat, like what was that process? Mm-hmm. Like you sat down and said, I want to write a book on why women mm-hmm. don't want to have sex. And they were right. like, cool, here's nine, nine chapters. And you're like, thank you. And here's my publisher's phone number. Have a great right. time. I mean, like, yeah. what are you doing with the book coach? Are they, are they helping you with the chapters? Are they helping you with the, the, like the story, the storyboard? Is that a fucking word that you use in book writing? Yeah. So I didn't use a storyboard, but so I remember the first thing she told me to do is she said, dump everything into a, a document, anything that you've ever written, anything that you just, all these ideas that you have about what you could possibly have in this book right in there. And then, so I did that. And that was like, I don't know, like 30 to 50 pages of just, I don't know, kind of chaos. And then mm-hmm. from there, yeah. we went through it together and started to pull out themes and created an outline, like a first, first round outline. Oh. Like, okay, so this is what this looks like. And this is a story that you want to tell 
like what's what's the goal of this book? Like, what are you really trying to convey to the reader? Because it's obviously a nonfiction book is going to be different than a fiction book in terms of mm-hmm. your uh, message. Of, yeah, message. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it was just a lot of uh, brain dumping and then pulling out, pulling out, pulling out, then reorganizing, then so, pulling so out, pulling like right? It just focused, go back. They like focused your yes. where you should focus your time and energy. A hundred percent. Organize it. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. I'm all about working smarter, not harder. Not so, harder. Yeah. Amen. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I wanted to, I, I was like, like, tell me what to do. Be my guide. I want to write a book. Like I, yeah. I have like so many ideas in my head right. of books to write. Like I'm, I yeah. write a book about masturbation. I want to write a book oh. about pleasure. I want to write a book about right. social constructs. I want to write a book oh. about the history Beautiful. of sex. I'm like, I have seven, 75 book ideas in my head. Right? I, I even it. have like titles. I have titles Ooh. written down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. Fun. Good. Um, so, so this, this is fascinating for me. So you said you started this last year. You wrote a book in a fucking year. Yeah. I actually would have finished it sooner, but I broke my leg playing in a soccer game and oh, I like fractured my tibia and had to have surgery. Ah. I mean, it was awful, awful. Yeah. Seven ah. screws in a plate later. Yeah. Holy um, which shit. sounds like the name of a porno, honestly, but it was Seven my life. Seven screws and yeah. a plate later. Yeah. yeah. I'd, watch I'd watch that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't write for three and a half months. I, I was so depressed. I didn't even touch it. Oh God. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. So how yeah. long did the was, entire process yeah. from like start to finish take for you? Cause you just released this, you guys, this book came uh, out yesterday. Yesterday, right? Yeah. On the, or yeah. was it May the 4th? Uh, the Friday, the fifth, the fifth, the fifth, the fifth. Okay. It's like two so days. it came out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Two days. I mean, this isn't going to, this episode's not going to come out for a while, but, but spoiler alert, it's May. <laughs> We're recording right now. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> like it came out. So how long from, from inception yeah. to Friday, how long was that time? Uh, a year and two months. God. And how did you find the publisher? So the thing about that, um, I did just did self-publish. So what you can do is go through like, um, Amazon and, uh, there's a website, Ingram Sparks. That's another one that you okay. can self-publish yeah. through. And so what they do is they just print on demand. So you don't have to pre-order like in the olden, olden days, um, <laughs> where you would have to order like thousands of books up front and then you kind of like yeah. schlep them yourself. Whereas yeah, now, right. like. Like Girl it's ordered, cookies, it's, but books. Yes. Yes, exactly. So it's ordered, you print it and then it goes out. And so in the meantime, I'll continue to try to pop like, um, submit my manuscript to publishers to try to get picked up oh. by the bigger houses. Oh, yeah. okay. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. God. And how, yeah. like, did you have a part? Did you have a party? Did you celebrate when it, when it came out? Did you I like did. A release party? I, yeah. I did on Friday. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it was I didn't want to do a party. I was like, this sounds like a terrible idea. Cause I don't, what? I know. Well, I don't love being the center of attention. I can talk about like this stuff. This is my, I love this. Cause it's not about me per se. It's about like ideas and my knowledge, but having people come celebrate me. I was like, oh my gosh, why are people here? And they're like, cause we love you. That's why we're here. And you was, did a thing. Yes. You, did, you had a, you had another baby. I did. Yes. That's exactly what it is. A hundred percent. Yeah. 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 So it was great. I'm so glad I did it. So I would encourage people 
to celebrate. And I tell my clients that too. Anytime that you hit a milestone, celebrate yeah. because that sends gratitude and that's the best message you can send. Tell us a little bit about your coaching. What, what is that then? What does that entail? Like, do you have a master's yeah. degree? Do you, I do. Yeah. Um, how do you find your clients? Like, where did you, how'd you get into relationship coaching? Yeah. So I have a master's in education in human sexuality, and then I have a master's in mental health counseling. So wow. I used, I used to have my own, um, private mental health and sex therapy practice when we actually were stationed in Washington state. And mm -hmm. then my husband got orders for us to move to Texas. And so I had our third kid and five weeks later I closed, closed my practice and we moved to Texas and I had a newborn, a two-year-old and a four-year-old and oh. was Texas at the time, the, the licensure reciprocity laws were not friendly to right. military spouses. So out of state. Oh shit. Yeah. So it was like, you'd have to go through this whole huge licensure thing. And I was like, fuck this. Like, I'm not doing this. It is just way too much no. work. So and you need time, two master's degrees, like get out of here. What else I, do I know, you right? want from me? I, exactly. Shit. A lot. They want a lot from you, Ashley. Oh, um, and so in the meantime, I discovered coaching, which is, it's a double-edged sword, right? Cause anybody can call themselves a coach, which right. But then it's also not regulated. So then I don't have to go and submit my licensure. I don't have to apply for a licensure. I can call myself whatever I want and I can still help people. And that was really right. my goal was to help individuals and couples. And so that's what I did. So I switched over to more of a, a coaching therapy kind of uh, combo model and uh -huh. have been doing that since. And now you're doing it virtually, yeah? Because you have clients that are here in the United States, and you're. Do yes. you have clients that are in Germany? Do you have like expats that are living? Yeah, there? I have clients all over the world. It's it's amazing. I think when COVID hit, it really helped people's mindset change into what they yeah. were comfortable with. Because before it was really, they were like, "Hey, we love you, but like it's going to be really hard to see you." Like. I just can't do it. And then I got so many phone calls. They're like, okay, we changed our minds. Like it's, you know, 2020. Please. And yes, Please, can, I come yeah. back? Please. can I come back? Exactly. Please. Okay. Come on uh, back. And also, I mean, intimacy during COVID for, for a lot of people, yeah. I mean, there was so much, there's so much we could talk about when it comes to fucking COVID, but that year, 2020, like March yeah. of 2020 to March of 2021, that, that span of time, being in lockdown and, and, and the, it's funny because there's not a lot of things globally that we can all relate to. Like there right. isn't a lot of periods of time or events that an entire globe of human beings can say, I actually know what you're talking about. And I had the same experience and they yeah. live in Sicily or they live in Istanbul or they live in, Yep. London or they live in Germany or they live in Huntington beach, right? Like we all went into lockdown and we were all forced yep. to be with whoever was in the house. Like whether it was mm -hmm. a roommate that you were like, yeah, you got three months to live here, but I'm giving you your walking papers. And then the next day they're like lockdown and you're like, Oh fuck. Now I'm stuck with this person and I just evicted them. Like that sucks. Right. Or you're That's with your parents, you're with your parents, you're with your spouse yeah. who maybe works five days a week and now they're at home all the time. I mean, it just changed everyone's dynamic and everyone's intimacy yeah. level on a, on a, a personal level, friends, parents, siblings, yeah. husbands, wives, all of it. So I'm sure that for COVID for your business was a booster. Am I, am yes. I right? Yeah. Yes. hundred <laughs> like, percent. Yeah. Yeah. 
you probably had people lined up like, hi, yeah. can I get a session? Like, can I get a session? Like, yes. Please. They, I mean, people that were, would never have, who were like, no, they were just so desperate for help mm-hmm. at that point. I just, gosh, I remember that, man. Yeah, it was rough. You say, you said in your, in your bio that the majority of what you do mm-hmm. isn't about sex. Correct. What the fuck are you doing then? You have a, so, you're a human sexuality. You have a, what? Yeah. Why? Talk about sex. Why? Yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize that a stale sex life or a lack of sex is, is a symptom of something larger. And so what I help people do is I help them realize like, Hey, it's not because you're n- not having sex or you only have sex once a month or whatever. There's a lot of like, Okay, let me give the example. So I remember one time I had a couple and I sat down with them and the wife was like, I cannot believe he came home and asked me what was for dinner. And he was like, yeah, I, I don't know why she totally freaked out on me. Like, I just walked in the door and was like, hey, so what's for dinner? And she just lost it. And I said, here's, here's the thing. It's Ugh. never really about what's for dinner, right? That's a proxy war. It's never about what, what we think it's about. There's always an underlying, okay, maybe not always, a majority of the time there's an underlying right. issue. And so that's really like, people will come to me usually for communication issues, struggling relationships, marriages that are on the brink of divorce. And, and like the lack of sex is just a laundry list of things that are mm-hmm. wrong with, quote, wrong with their relationship. And so mm-hmm. like, I don't love, I mean, can I, you know, to help people with erectile dysfunction or, you know, those kind of things. Yes. But my passion is really to help people get to those underlying issues and figure out like, why am I in a sexless marriage or why am I settling for faking an orgasm every time or, you know, those kind of things. What do you find is one of the most common themes when it comes to, um, people's difficulties in the bedroom, in the marriage that they're, that, I mean, we both grew up in Seattle. We talked about it a little bit. We both grew up kind of in a church in yep. sort of a purity driven sort of mindset, <laughs> yeah. um, that the person you marry is going to be the person that you're going to have mind blowing sex with. And that's yes. the only person you're going to have mind blowing right. sex with. Don't you dare think about having mind blowing sex with Ooh. anyone else. Yep. Um, and so I don't know. I don't know what the percentage is like. What percentage of your patients are military? A very small amount, honestly. Okay. Yeah, very small. And what percentage of them do you see, would you say this is, they were virgins, they didn't have sex prior to this person, this is the only person they've had sex with? Uh, uh, I'd say, okay, in terms of who I work with, like one-on-one or in a couple session, I'd say a very small percentage, but when I go okay. and I speak to mom groups, I would say that women self-identify very high as having only had one sexual partner. Okay. So there's and these a, mom groups are yeah. in Germany. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're all over. Like they're like, I think of mothers of preschoolers, it's called mops. That's a faith-based organization. And so that's, it's international and, and a lot of churches will, will house it. And I'd say when I go and speak on like how to talk to your kids about sex or intimacy in marriage, um, that's hands down. I have a lot of women who self-identify as only had one sexual partner and that they were virgins when they got married. They're telling the truth or is that totally? (laughs) 
Do you think they really have only had one sexual partner? Or do you think they're putting on a facade because they're in a faith-based group in front of a bunch of other women who are also yeah. in a faith-based group? And, and the reason I ask that is because actually we have a family Trippy culture. Virginity is a social construct. Oh my gosh, so it so just, is. Yeah, and it just, it's just <laughs> yeah. very interesting on you know how it changes somebody's own uh, relationship with sex. <clears throat> if they have to feel like they have to lie, especially in a faith-based group where, <clears throat> you know, um, they might be shunned if they said, yeah, I've had sex with people. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. So I think of like where Jake, cause Jamie, our mutual friend um, from, mm-hmm. you know, the author, like we went to a very small Christian high school and I'd say the majority of the people that we graduated with married their high school sweetheart or married somebody that was in our high school and were virgins when they got married. Maj- I mean, overwhelmingly and they only had sex with that one person so but like studies show right yes it's not the the experience that my husband had either he went to a a public high school in boise idaho and um but statistics show nine out of ten americans will have sex before they get married yep that's That's, just especially nowadays the average age that women got married in like 1970 i think was something like 20.4 or 20.5 or something like that mm-hmm. now actually 2022 the average age for a woman to get married is 27 okay yeah and so it it begs the question i mean and then they say you know the first the average age of first sexual encounter. So I'm not going to say penetrative sex because everybody has sure. different kinds of sex, but 100%. the average age of a sexual encounter in America is 15, 15 and a half. Mm-hmm. And then the average age that individuals will self identify as having, I'm using big fat air quotes, yes. the biggest of air quotes self-identifying as losing their virginity. By the yeah. way, that's not a thing. You can't lose it. You I know. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad that you said that. Anywhere. Oh. Holy shit. I cannot. Oh understand. my gosh. Yes. Same. It's 17. 17 is the average yeah. age that a teenager will say, oh, lost my virginity. Um, we need to fucking change that, by the way. Get that out of the lexicon. So if these individuals are having their first sexual experience between the ages of 15 and 17 and then not getting married until the age of 27, one mm-hmm. would deduce that there's going to be some more sexual partners in that time frame. I mean, yes. they actually, a lot of, there is another number. Hi, I love statistics. How are you? Hi, welcome Yay. to my show. I, awesome. I never do this. I, n- I never do statistics. It's crazy. It's a lie. I do them every time. <laughs> the average number of sexual partners that people will say that they've had over a lifetime Typically is between five and six for women and seven and eight for men. Um, In my experience, those numbers are probably more equal than we think. Um, Yeah. Men will inflate a number if they feel like that's what they should do. So socially, it's more acceptable for men to have more partners. And if you say you've never had sex as a man, you get completely demoralized by everyone mm-hmm. around you, even by people yeah, who have also not have, had sex. Yep. hundred uh, percent. Did that happen in your high school, babe? Did people, were, oh, did yeah. people talk about, are you a virgin bro? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I lost my virginity at 13. So I, was I mean, yeah, but did, but, was there people making yeah. fun of oh, others? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we had friends, we had friends that had, had, didn't have sex, at least that we were aware of until maybe like senior year. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah, we roused him up. Yeah. yeah. And then, then with women, women will tend to down their numbers and be like, Oh yep. no, it's only three or maybe mm-hmm. four. I don't know. I don't know. And it's like yeah. 12, you know? And yeah. it's like, if they, we actually were just watching this horrible fucking Instagram video. Awful. Um, where a guy was walking around and said, okay, and like just interviewing people on the street, right? And he's mm-hmm. like, what if the girl you were going to hook up with had a body count of 20? And I don't like that phrase either. Body count either. sounds like Ugh. you're murdering people. Yeah, but it does. What if, what if the girl you're going to hook up with has had sex with 20 other people? And the guy was like, no way. I don't want that. I don't want that anywhere near me. And the guy was like, do you think women feel that way? And then they asked women, what if the guy you're hooking up with had sex with 20 other people? And they were like, oh, okay. Yeah. So what? Yeah. I always laugh at things like that because my mentality is the more you do it, the better you are at it. (laughs) And I don't want to be a teacher. So I've always been like, I've never valued personally somebody who's had few sexual partners because I've always known that that in my experience, is a less than optimal experience right? Mm. than somebody who has had more experience. Right. That is what I would consider a better time in bed, <clears throat> just my personal opinion. So it is funny when I hear guys say things like that, like, no, I would never have anything to do with her because she's had 10. Got like, bro, let's be honest. You're just lucky that you're going to get laid. Like, come on. Like, like, honestly, you're turning that on. down? Like, she's, yeah, come hello? On. Exactly. Yeah, nice so try. I, Fuck out of here. It's funny when guys have that mentality. I'm like, but I feel like those people who are less experienced in sex, so Courtney, let's say the moms in the mops groups who have only sure. ever had one partner, or the couples that you talk with who married each other and are only having sex, has have only ever had any sexual experiences with one another, do you feel like they have more sexual dysfunction? than the married couples who were not virgins when they got married? Thank you. Uh, I would say that they have different dysfunction. I I knew you were going to say that. I know. Damn you, Courtney. Because (laughs) what I see is that people who have less partners are less equipped to effectively communicate their needs and their desires. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, whereas typically somebody who's been more experienced has more confidence. And Mm -hmm. so their sexual dysfunctions tend to be a little bit different than Mm -hmm. the ones who are only been with their current uh, partner. Yeah. And and we have a friend that uh, she waited till she was 22 or 23 to leave the beginning and then went out. Don't use that phrase. (laughs) Hit a home run. Hit a home run. You can use that. Yes, that's fine. Hit a home run. There we go. And then they were together for 12 years. Yeah, she's not, she's having a hard time um, communicating how, what she wants from sex. She's having a hard time having orgasm in the, the hookups that she's experiencing. And I'm trying to like explain to people who are in hookup culture. It's a big deal. Hookup culture is a big deal, especially because people aren't getting married until the age of 27, 28 right. years old. So right. you're going on dates, you're going on Tinder, you're going on Grindr, you're going on whatever fucking apps you're going on. You're going to the bar, doing it organically. Um, but these hookups, women only have an orgasm about 18% of the time in first time hookups. Whereas men will have orgasms about 92% of the time in first time hookups. 
And it's because women who maybe were with one partner or maybe have only ever had one partner and that partner just so happened to be like, here's an orgasm. And they're like, do that forever. Yep. These new partners don't know what's going to get you off and you don't know them and you're in your head and you've got anxiety. Mm-hmm. And it's been a struggle for her because she's like desperate for one. <clears throat> and, mm-hmm. you know, we've been trying to get her to, to basically express to the guys, hey, let's play a game called make me come first yeah, i called i come first the game is called i come first yeah right yeah but you have to be so, confident enough to advocate right? for that from yeah. the beginning yeah. one right. thing that i and it's um you know when i know of clients who are dating and they're on these apps and stuff and you know the the questions that come out well what do you like sexually well what don't you like like if you know that you need someone to go down on you to get an orgasm that better mm-hmm. fucking be in that questionnaire of yours right. to make yeah. sure that one, they are, they enjoy doing that. And yeah. two, that that's going to be happening when you do get together, because if not, it's just going to go to the wayside. Right. And so yeah. you yeah. And have to be the one to advocate for your pleasure. Right. And you need to also understand that. And this is another thing that you have an issue with. She's like, yeah, they'll go down on me, but it'll be for like 30 seconds. Right. She's yes. Like, yes. That's hello. Yeah. <laughs> and then any woman out there knows it ain't going to happen. In 30 if seconds. you're going to go down there for 30 seconds, don't fucking go down there. Just 100%. Don't, because Just now, now I feel like it's me. Like you went down there and came right the fuck back up. So what is going on down there that right. you're not enjoying and you're not going to hang out right. for like five minutes? Like right. it's a party in my pants. At least yeah. have a cocktail before you go. So that's a yes. great point. That's like expressing what your expectations are. Mm-hmm. And Do you want to use desire. toys? Are you comfortable yes. using toys? Are you comfortable with BDSM? Are you comfortable yes. with, uh, you know, oral sex? Well, some people aren't. And then you yep. have to fucking figure that shit out. And if you don't know what you're, that's the other problem. The lack of education that we've yep. got here in this country, in America, I don't know what, what <laughs> is sex education like in Germany? Is it at all? Do they have it? Yeah, no, they, they have it. Actually, I just went to a parent meeting this past week at my son's school. He's in fourth grade and they do um, sex ed where they do like pubertal development. They do yeah. fetal, fetal development. They don't talk about mm-hmm. how the fetus gets into the uterus, but they okay. talk about... Um, I mean, you know, fourth grade, part. that's a, con- yeah. that's a big concept. That's a big concept. But they continue to add it through the sure. um, se- sequential years. Yeah. Comprehensive, age appropriate, sex Medically education. accurate. Yes. Medically, medically accurate. accurate. Yep. It makes my loins tingle when I say that phrase. <sighs> um, I want to teach it so bad. I would fucking teach the shit out of elementary school human sexuality and be like, let's talk about body autonomy. Let's talk about consent. Consent, yes. Oh, I love consent, yes. Let's talk about the names of our body parts. Like, I love how people think that when you teach kids sex education, I'm not going to talk to a room of third graders about masturbation. I'm not going to talk to them about 69. Like this, I don't know. I don't even talk about sex positions to my college students. Like, that's not what I'm talking about ever. No, no. Ever. The only time I talk about sex positions is on this motherfucking podcast because it's called What's, What's Your Position? That's so, right. So in the right. fucking title. Yep. Um, I'm glad that Germany has that. So the education system in this country is such that we are not given the tools as mm-hmm. hormonal sexual individuals. So when we're like yep. 13 years old and we are the average age of people watching porn for the first time, Courtney, would you like to guess? 
Yes. Um, I've seen studies between 11 and 13. Yeah. That's right. She did it. She nailed yeah. it on the fucking head. And why are we not equipping these people with the tools for media literacy, yeah. um, for expectations, not teaching? Why are we not teaching them that porn is like a fairy tale? Porn yep. is like um, frozen. Like it yep. literally is not the reality. It is oh. a an idea and it's in the imagination of someone and they make mm-hmm. it like a movie, like a make-believe die hard, like... That could be a porn. <laughs> hard. Die hard on. Die hard on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, God. But you're right. And and I think that your book really speaks to a generation of people yeah. who are missing that massive component. It's like, it's like not teaching someone how to drive and then handing them the keys to a car and saying, go on the four Oh five at like, yep. like, I guess I could figure it out, but I'm probably not going to be very fucking good at it. Nope. No. And not only and that, I'm going gonna... to put myself at risk and other people at risk. And then I'm going to, then I'm going to develop this sense of fear and then I'm going to shut mm-hmm. down and then I'll get stuck on the mm-hmm. free. Like it's just, we are not setting our kids up for success. We never, are... Yep. I'll just never get in the car again. Yep. Yeah. I'm just going to yeah. check out, disengage. Nope. No, thanks. Or yeah. if somebody so, drags me into the car, then I guess I'll like play along. Yeah. And then I'm traumatized. Yep. Yeah. So tell us, um, three things. Who is your okay. book for? Okay. What would you say if you were going to give a synopsis of what's in the book and what mm-hmm. people can expect and tell us about the workbook? Okay. So the book is written for women, however you identify, uh, but any, any gender can benefit from reading it. So one of the things that's actually surprised me is how many men have read my book or have ordered it and they're like really excited to understand why their female partners are like not wanting to engage because either they, they don't have the skills to have the conversation with their partner or they've tried and it hasn't gone well. And she hasn't been able to articulate it. So they see this book as kind of like a, an inside track up to like, sure. Oh, okay. This is why women uh, don't yeah, a communication sex. bridge. Like maybe if yeah. they read the book, they'll understand and, and be able to communicate with their spouse. Yes. Or yeah. their partner. Yeah. In general. Yeah. Yep. Um, what was the other question? Uh, synops- give me a synopsis, synopsis of the book. Yeah. So the synopsis is really, uh, it's the book is divided into three parts. The first part is why do we have to even have fucking have a book on why women don't want sex, right? Why the fuck does this book exist? Why does this book exist? Um, Part two is really helping us to understand like, okay, this is where we're at. This is how our bodies work. This is permission for pleasure. And then the, the third part is really more of like a kind of a collective approach. And that was one thing that uh, I really, really, really wanted women or whoever to walk away from, well, especially women in this book is that, and and it's in the subtitle. So the subtitle is why women actually don't want sex and what we can do about it. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to this, um, one of my friends, husbands, and he was like, what we can do about it. What do you mean? We, and I said, yes, we, you're part of this, bud. Yes. I'm like, this (laughs) isn't just one woman's issue. Like this is a collective feminine, a collective societal issue that affects a significant portion of the population. And so mm-hmm. one of the biggest lies that culture has given us is that we are alone and it is us. And we are the only one that struggles with that. And that is just bullshit. 
And the, and the more harmful psychologically oh, yes. to, to make someone feel a alone yeah. and B like something is wrong with just them and yeah. no one else has ever experienced that problem. Mm-hmm. And something is intrinsically wrong with yeah. you as a person yep. and no one else that is so psychologically damaging to an individual and it can stop them from ever experiencing pleasure or joy or desire yeah. ever again. It's 100%. awful. Yeah. Yeah. And so for me, that was really important to help women realize like we are in this together. And, and one of my goals is to, um, get into as many book clubs and, and many into as many like women's groups or these groups to where women can have an honest conversation about sexuality. So where they can say, you know what, this was, this was my story too. Like I have a lot of clinical vignettes in, in the book that talks about like women's, like literally like why a woman came to me and like a short clip of this is what our conversation looked like. And most of them are um, an amalgamation and a few were actually taken and I asked permission from those clients. Um, but I wanted women to realize like, I, I thought this, I felt this and I'm not alone and together we can heal in community. That's amazing. What's the workbook? <laughs> so the workbook is, um, so at the end of each chapter, so I'm a big giver of homework. Like that's really where the transformation is. So when I work with clients, I'm like, dude, I get you for like an hour a week, if that. And so I always assign homework to help move the needle in their lives. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of each chapter, I have what's called a toolbox and there's questions in the toolbox. And so what I did is I just put the questions from the toolbox into like a journal uh, prompts, basically got into it. this workbook. And it's pretty like it's got quotes in there and it's got, you know, like lines that you can journal in or you can just download it and type into it. But I really wanted people to feel that they had this interactive opportunity to process because there's a lot of big concepts that we ex- that I explore in this book. And I wanted people to be able to have a space dedicated to these ideas, to these um, you know, like aha moments where they could yeah. process that. Well, not only that, totally free. practice, you can't just, you can't go to therapy. Okay. Here's, I love, by the way, unofficial sponsor therapy. Uh, you can't go to therapy and sit there for an hour and then go home and do nothing with what you 100%. were given. Yep. Because all you're doing is just t- absorbing it. And maybe not even that listening to what they're saying, and then you don't put that into practice, you are wasting your time and money and you're wasting the therapist's time, honestly. 100%. Yes. You have to do, learning is, is a a process. It's not just, I'm going to sit here and listen, wah, 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 like you're not doing anything. You need to write, you need to take notes. You need to then go home and practice what you're learning no one, Michael Jordan didn't become a great basketball player because he watched basketball videos. A hundred percent. Like, nope, that's, you have to practice and you have to practice continuously, especially yeah. when it comes to relationships and sex. This is something that's ever changing and ever evolving. Our sexuality yes. is on a spectrum. Our desire yep. is on a spectrum. Yep. There are life events that happen. There are days of the week that happen. There are hormonal changes that happen. Yep. Aging happens fuck weather happens. I mean, your sexuality and your desire is going to change constantly. So you constantly have to work at this. If it's something that's meaningful to you, if it's something that you care about, 
Or if it's something that your partner cares about and you want to make it better and you want to make it the best you can, it is constantly something you have to work at. It's not yep. just going to be handed to you. You can't, here's an orgasm on a silver platter. That's not how that works. I, God, right. I wish. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, thinking like, that's oh, one of the things that I just thought of when you said that is that's, we've really handed over our pleasure to our partners. And we've given, right. given it, made it their responsibility for them to take care of us and to pleasure us. And it's obviously I'm a fan of that, right? Of having a partner that is there to pleasure you and you're there to pleasure mm-hmm. your partner, but you have, you are in charge of your pleasure and you have to be the one driving that boat. And if you yep. are not, then you're likely not going to get the results that you want. So right. take control of that, learn how to advocate, learn how to have fruitful and effective discussions again. And a lot of people, one, aren't taught communication. Two, they're not taught how to talk about sex. Right. So, And a lot of people aren't masturbating, which is the number one thing I tell people when it comes yeah. to orgasming. And they, if anyone's like, I can't orgasm, I'm like, masturbate. Yeah. Fucking figure it out. It's your body. Find what makes you tick. Find a vibrator. Yep. Find a cock ring. Find a butt plug. Find yep. a, a, a vibrator that goes inside, a vibrator that goes outside, one that tickles your testicles, one that tickles your scrotum, one that plays with your prostate, one that plays with your G-spot. Find something. Yep. Get something going because you have to be in charge of your pleasure. So we are going to take a quick break. Um, and we are going to, uh, talk about when we come back, um, the ways that, um, the ways that our pleasure and our desire are maybe fucked with. I couldn't think of a better phrase. So there are uh, seven, seven things I want to talk to you about that, um, I think are, are going to be key themes in your book. I think this is my hypothesis that I have figured out. I've unlocked your book without reading the book yet. Okay. Um, And I'm super excited. So we're going to come right back. We're going to take a five-minute break. We'll be back in just a second. Join us. Let's go, girls. Come on. I'm going out tonight.
Since 2014, Four Sons Brewing has been creating authentic craft beers, unique seltzers, and family-friendly locations throughout Huntington Beach. They are a pillar of our community, and we hope they become a staple in your home. Find them in Costco, Total Wine and Spirits, or online at foursonsbrewing.com and by visiting one of their three locations. Make sure to tell them Ashley at What's Your Position sent you. Stay safe, stay kind, stay sexy, and cheers. send me um, songs that they want played on the episode and so we just listened to something that sparked all the core memories. Thanks a lot for having me listen to Fievel. Uh What the <gasps> shit, Courtney? Why? I know. <laughs> Why okay, would that, you do that? Okay, because that song I used to sing with my dad. Oh, that's the only reason why it's like one of my all-time favorite songs because we would sing a duet together. So that's yeah. adorable. Yeah. Wow, um, just completely made me want to go watch uh, what? What is it? Five Goes it West. Gone? No, not Five Goes West. The one before th- an American Tale. Oh, Ameri- American. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. There are no cats in America, and the streets are filled with cheese. <laughs> it's a great movie. It's, a great it's actually fun. quite traumatic. Not oh, actually, it's kind of hundred kind of percent. Yeah, very yeah. fucking oh traumatic. Nineties babies, you'll know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about desire. We're talking about Courtney's book, Not Tonight, Honey. Um, 
And I wanted to kind of talk about the difference, the different ways that people experience sexual desire. So a lot of times people experience sex and sexual desire by the ways that they define it. And men define the act usually as a familiar formula. They get an erection, they have an orgasm, then they have an ejaculation. Sex. There it is. Very simple, very easy. For women, desire and arousal aren't necessarily linked together. So their desire to have sex may be monumental. It may be 100%, but their body is not necessarily in an aroused state. So they're not tenting in the vaginal canal. There's no lubrication, um, which those two things, you can work around them by introducing lubrications that increase tenting or increase blood flow to the area. Um, Fiora is a good, great one. I love that one. Uh, It's got CBD in it. Ooh, that's fancy. I know. It's one of my faves. Um, And then men are also more visual when it comes to sex. So visual sexual stimuli can activate the same neural pathways in both men and women. However, men respond more strongly to visual stimuli when it comes to sexual, uh, sexual arousal than women do. So just because there's a penis in their face doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to want to have sex right away. Whereas if you show men a picture of two naked women, two naked men, two naked people, uh, the likelihood that they are going to have sexual desire is much higher than that for women. Um, there's also hormones that are involved in sexual desire and sexual arousal, um, testosterone, estrogen, and oxytocin. Um, testosterone is important for both men and women. Um, and estrogen is actually very important because it helps testosterone reach its full potential. And estrogen is really important in women because that is what can facilitate a more lubricated vaginal canal Mm -hmm. and the tenting aspect of sex and sex itself. Um, oxytocin is important because that's the hook cuddling hormone and it makes you want to be physically connected to someone. Um, it's also a, a really powerful hormone that's released after an orgasm. So you can just have oxytocin hanging out the entire time. Um, but these hormones aren't necessarily all that's involved in sexual desire. So my question then is drum roll, please. What's wrong with me? <laughs> What is the matter with me? Why don't I have sexual desire? Why can't I get Mm. lubricated? Why is my partner's libido higher than mine? So Mm -hmm. I think that that is a question that a lot of women, those questions are what a lot of women ask themselves. What's wrong with me? Um, There is no single answer to this question, um, except to say that there is nothing wrong with you. But... There are six possibilities as to what might be going on. Courtney, the expert, could you please tell me your thoughts on the following? Okay. Hormonal changes. So fluctuations in hormone levels that occur in in female-bodied peoples. Pregnancy, menstruation, breastfeeding, menopause. Okay, those four things are going to cause fluctuation in hormones in female have people with female bodies. So people with penises, testicles typically don't have a menstrual cycle. They typically don't get pregnant. They typically aren't breastfeeding and they typically are not going through menopause. But hormones that fluctuate in women tend to be more frequent than hormones that fluctuate in men. Is this correct? Correct. Correct. hundred percent. How often would you say hormones are playing a role in a woman's sexual desire and sexual arousal? 
a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> I mean, it's just to, to ignore the hormonal aspect is, is just not smart. Like you, you really, especially women who menstruate, like really looking at where they're at in their cycle. Like, gosh, if, if you could do one thing to hack or to just have some insight into your desire level, like that, looking at where you're at in your menstrual cycle would significantly help you understand, Oh, no wonder I'm like, right. Like a week before my period. Yep. It makes sense why I don't desire sex a week after my period. Yes. Now I see why my sex desire is off the charts. Like, okay, I get it now. And a period tracker, a period tracking app. They have free ones, um, journaling about your period, especially if you are someone who is not taking hormonal birth control, tracking Mm -hmm. your period and tracking your cycle, um, can really open a door that you never even knew existed when it comes to sexual desire. Um, the two weeks before you ovulate are typically when you are the most sexually aroused, you have the most sexual desire. Um, and then the two weeks after your ovulation is typically when you want to like be at home, when you want to be more comfy, when you're not really feeling your hottest. And, um, obviously that's because you're leading up to your period when you would either get pregnant or not get pregnant. Yep. Speaking of periods and medication, Let's talk about how medication can affect people's sexual desire. Yes. Because a lot of people who menstruate are on birth control. Um, They find ways to not get pregnant, which I think is one of the most brilliant inventions of the 20th century is birth control. I think it's fucking phenomenal that we were able to take control of our bodies and say, I don't want a baby. Thank you very much. I happen to be on a hormonal IUD, so I haven't had a period in nine years. So Mm -hmm. I can't track my hormones because I'm not having a normal menstrual cycle. Medication is also something I wanted to... to, um, make sure that people understand because women are more likely to report a diagnosis of anxiety and depression than men are. And that's not to say that women are more likely to have anxiety or depression, but women are more likely to go and seek medical help for it. And doctors are medication happy. So when a woman goes to get a diagnosis of depression or anxiety, the doctor might put her on an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety medication. Birth control and Uh, SSRIs are notorious for stopping libido in its fucking tracks. It's not even that you don't want to have sex. You might be like, yes, I want to fuck. And there's no, there's no way that orgasm is happening. You've just, you've numbed those transmitters with medication that's helping you be depressed, which is fucking bullshit, right? You're like, I don't want to have sex because I'm depressed. Okay, here's medication. Cool. Now I want to have sex and I can't. So it's this awful. So talk to me about women and medication and libido. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's some like Wellbutrin that can kind of like help with, it's like a tag along or whatever, but yeah, medication will absolutely mess up your hormone, your hormones. Like, and that's going to affect your desire for sex hands down. And so being aware Mm -hmm. that that's happening, it just requires you to be a lot more intentional and then it may require you to change the purpose of your sexual encounters. So if you know that it's almost impossible because you're on this medication to orgasm, like taking that pressure off and being like, Hey, sex isn't about orgasming. It's just about having fun and pleasure and experiencing and being close together. But again, that requires self-awareness and then that requires communication and not faking. Yeah. 
No, please, for the love of all that is holy, do not fake. Please do not fake. Please, please stop that. It's, yeah. it's interesting, though, uh, and I'll, I'll make two points, and I'll come back to the faking part, but the ability to orgasm part, our, and I keep bringing up our friend, hi, friend, I hope you're listening. God, I hope she's not. She's probably so embarrassed. Probably like, oh, fuck. <laughs> she's like, I'm never talking to them again, ever. Never exposing but, myself. Well, but I mean, we've been going through this whole journey with her, and she was like, I, I can't come, and it's so frustrating, I'm trying different things, and she yeah. can by herself, mm-hmm. right? So she's fine on her own, but when she's with these guys, it doesn't happen. And finally, after a few weeks of t- talking to her about it, we came to the conclusion that it was... Lexapro. Lexapro. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was causing her... That's what we've zeroed in on, is is she's now going, okay, now I have to figure out how I'm going to taper or switch because that's what we've kind yeah. of figured out. And that's, and that sucks because that's this, you know, it's a catch 22. It's like you take something to make you feel better, yep. but then you can't have an orgasm. And then you're like, okay, yeah. now I have to figure out, is it worth me tapering off of this medication to find another one and go through this whole process again? So it, it really sucks. And it's, it's an unfortunate, uh, well, it all circles back to, are you happy? Like, even if you're not having an orgasm is, are you happy with what your sex life looks like? Because if you're yeah. happy and you're fine being intimate and you're fine engaging in sexual encounters that don't necessarily lead to orgasm, uh, if you still have a connection between you and your partner, um, is it, is your libido and your desire and your sexual and your sex life fulfilling? Yeah. Then there's nothing to worry about, but then you just yeah. imagine what sex yeah. actually about. Yeah. Exactly. It has to end an orgasm. Right. Just think that if we think of it in a different way, then yep. we go, Hey, you know what? I enjoy the interesting. I enjoy the closeness. I right. enjoy the connection mm-hmm. and the act of, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean I have to end. It doesn't mean it has to end an orgasm. Right. It's nice when it does. It's nice when it does. Yeah. And yep. I think a lot of people, when they come to peace with that, then they're like, okay, now, yeah, I'm okay with not having an organ. Right. And then they do because yep. now they're comfortable and relaxed. But, yep. uh, but faking an orgasm is never okay. Like, I'm sorry. No, it's no, just. It's, I, and I, somebody, one of our friends, another friend made a good point And I, and I, I disagreed with her in so much that I, I said, you know, women shouldn't fake it. But she said, okay, my husband, she's talking about her husband, she said, my husband's really good. He knows how to get me off, and he does a great job. But, and I know, Ash and I have talked about this, sometimes when we start having sex, we know, I, both of us, we know when we start, maybe three or four minutes in, if we're going to come or not. Like, I can tell it's a man. Like, I can tell my body is going to get there, or it's not. <clears throat> so we will, you know, just go through whatever, you know, we'll go through having sex and we'll be like, Hey, we're not going to get there. And that's fine. Um, and so this, this, our friend said, Hey, I will fake it with my husband because I want Hmm. him to feel like he's done was good. And I know it's lying to him. I know I'm not being truthful with him, but I tell him that I'm orgasming or I fake my orgasm. But she's like, I just want him to know that like what he's doing is the right thing. He was making all the right moves, and I know I wasn't going to get there, so I just wanted him to make feel better about. It. I disagree. I'm sorry. I think that if I your disagree. husband, your wife, doing things that are great that make you feel good, tell them that feels really yep. good. Yep. 
Thank you. That feels really good. Or at the end, I'm not going to have an orgasm, but everything that you're doing is really awesome. I love the, when you touch me like this, I love when your dick is over here. I love when your hand is over here. You not coming has nothing to do with your spouse being good or bad. It is an internalized personal experience that you could do all the good things, all the right things all the time. I'm I'm not going to fake it though and try to make stroke your ego. What purpose does that, what purpose does that serve? That 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 serves no purpose. Yeah. Yeah. The purpose is it prevents an awkward conversation that people aren't prepared for. Yeah. Right. That's very, that's a very good point. And then now you're not having a conversation that probably should be had like hundred percent. I'm, I'm not having, why are you not having an orgasm? Is everything good? Are you mentally okay? Yep. How's your stress level? Is there something I can do as your partner to alleviate some of that stress? Did you have a hard day yep. at work? If you're like, no, everything's perfect and wonderful. Now you have missed an entire conversation that you could have had with your partner to open up commun- lines of communication and maybe have a better sexual experience the next time. hundred yep. percent. Reinforcing these, these behaviors that may actually not be good. And then telling your spouse, you did great. And they may have, and you can tell them that if it's true, but lying to them, I'm not on board. Yep. I agree. (laughs) Uh, relationship issues. Speaking of another (laughs) one, um, a lot of people say that their libido and their desire fluctuates because of what's going on in their relationship. This can be problems within the romantic structure itself. Mm -hmm. Uh, communication difficulties, unresolved conflicts, resentment, Oh resentment. My God, that is one of the biggest boner killer. Yeah. Biggest boner killer for sure. Um, also relationship issues with your friends or your children, um, especially mothers when you have, um, that, that extra weight on your shoulders and you're thinking about your kids, um, having sexual desire is probably, do you find that a lot of mothers have difficulty with sexual desire? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. What seems to be the issue? Is it that they're just worried about their kids coming in? Is it, is it distraction or is it like their brain is somewhere else? Or is it that they don't feel like a sexual being because they've had a child? Yeah, I think all of those things. It's they uh, insecurity about their bodies. Mm. Like my body doesn't look the way that it used to. It doesn't respond the way that it, it, it it's different now. Seeing themselves a, as a, a even as a male, that's a huge one in COVID. I gained 30 pounds. And I was like, I was like a kind of embarrassed in front of Ash. I was like, oh. hmm. yeah. Which is so sad. Cause I think he looks great all the time. Like, that's yeah. so sad. But I can't imagine how. After her body shit, all of her organs have been shifted. And yep. now her vaginal canal is going to, if she had vaginal birth, it's going to be different. Yeah. It's going to, it's yeah. going to feel different. It's going to stretch different. It's going to get aroused differently. I've heard that. Yeah. I've heard some women say, I mean, if this tells you anything, a friend of mine from high school had naturally curly hair all throughout her life. She had a kid, mm. her hair stick straight. Yep. Yep. Like it, messes it changes with you. your fucking hair follicles. Imagine yeah. what it does to your hormones. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, body image, mm-hmm. body Go image ahead, and relationship with yourself, your own body image can fuck with your libido and your desire. If you don't feel like yep. confident in your skin and you don't feel mm-hmm. beautiful and you don't feel desirable, yep. you're going to have a hard time desiring someone else. Yes. Or, or accepting the desire from your partner. That is one right. thing I really see. Like the, uh, one of the 
let's say a heterosexual partner, the, the male is telling his female partner, Hey, you're beautiful. I think you're great. She, she's not in a place where she can receive those compliments because she doesn't believe those things about herself. And so mm-hmm. it, it, then it gets discouraging for him because he's trying to like, sh- like I, you are beautiful. I love you. And she's basically saying, I don't, you're a liar. I don't believe you. And that erodes further, right? It becomes yeah. this. Yeah. It becomes this place of resentment. I tell you how beautiful you are and you don't, you don't hear me. You like, don't I don't know me. how mm-hmm. else you want me to say it. Like I can't yeah. say it any other way. Uh, fatigue and sleep issues. So women are more likely to be diagnosed with chronic pain, uh, chronic Mm -hmm. sleep problems, chronic fatigue issues. Um, they are also, uh, more likely to do, um, extra work, um, as far as a household is concerned. So working full-time plus being a mom and can be, it's funny. I, I heard this quote that says, um, if, a mom drives her kids around on the weekends to run errands. That's normal. Everybody is like, yeah, of course you are. But if a dad does it, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you got stuck with the kids or, oh, you're babysitting. And it's like, yeah. no, man, these are just my fucking kids and yeah. I'm going to the store. Like, right. society... Yeah. parenting and we both have to do it um and it's <laughs> society has made it so that the woman should always be with the children the woman should always be yeah. the one taking the kids to soccer taking the kids to the grocery store taking the kids to get her hair done mm-hmm. and the guy if he ever has to bring the kids along somewhere all of a sudden it's this fucking cumbersome burden and it's like yeah and you know what's really interesting about that totally on top of it off topic i read a study that said uh male kids that are absent of a father figure, uh, whatever that means, I mean, completely out of the picture or not, Mm -hmm. are exponentially uh, have a higher rate of incarceration. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It should be thought of as, yeah, like you said, not as like, oh, you got stuck with the kids. The the father figure needs to be there all the time. Right. The male children. Yep. that is a thousand percent correct. Uh, <laughs> when people have absent fathers, their chances of incarceration, I think the, I think it's like something like six times the amount, like they are six times more likely to be incarcerated than yeah. make children where fathers were present in their life. Yep. Uh, and so it's like, when you think about the amount of fatigue a woman has at the end of the day or... Yep at the start of her day, right? Like whenever you decide to have sex, whether it's afternoon delight, whether it's morning wood, whether it's um, before you go to bed, um, being tired is an absolutely perfectly valid reason to not desire sex. I desire sleep. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's also because a choice. Yeah. And it takes, it takes a long time to have sex, to get in the mood, to, um, engage in what I, I'm actually trying to change the lexicon and not call it foreplay anymore. It should just be called play. Um, and it should happen throughout the sexual experience, not just for five minutes at the beginning. Um, but sex takes a long time. It's, you can't just stick it in and be done in five minutes. Yeah. You, this is a, this is I something mean, you could, that should but- yeah, I'm it's not going to be a great sexual encounter. Yeah. No, it is not. So what have you heard from the people you talk to about sleeplessness and tiredness, especially when it comes to women? 
Yeah, I think one of the things that I see with women who use that, and again, it, I don't like to use the word excuse because it is a valid concern, the lack mm. of sleep. But I think that if women knew that they were willing to sacrifice 20 minutes of sleep for a really good fuck, like, yeah. I think they'd be open to that. Like, but and if we, you can get we, an O right before bedtime. Ooh. I mean, you sleep like eight. Yes. Mm. Yeah, I do. Orgasms, I, I right? recommend orgasms. Yeah, if, if you struggle with sleep, I'm like, masturbate, orgasms, uh-huh. do whatever you can mm-hmm. to help. Yeah, but I, but they're not getting they're not getting that they 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 show up, they spread their legs, they put on a show, and then yep. they wait for him to be done, yep. and then they go they go to bed, and now they're resentful because they've lost 20 minutes of sleep and have gained <laughs> nothing else because exactly. the encounter was not focused on nope. their pleasure or their desire. Nope. And nope. they just basically were like, fine, use me as a fucking hole. And then yep. I'm going to lose 20 minutes of sleep. Thanks so much for that. It's so, yep. it's so interesting. One of the uh, studies that you brought up and I've looked at a couple of times, it's the orgasm rate between male, hetero males, gay males, lesbian female, mm-hmm. and straight female. Mm-hmm. And it goes down in that order. Mm-hmm. Straight males, I think it's like 95% of the time, yep. sexual encounters. And then it goes all the way down to uh, 62% for straight females. But lesbian females, I think it's like 86%. It's like 89, 86%. So what's that 20 some odd percent drop off between lesbian females and straight females? So something is a disconnect with straight sex. And to me, it probably has a lot to do with foreplay and whatever you want to call it. But uh, think of it. Think of it this way, though. Like most of the time, sex ends when a man comes. Like, can you imagine? I was talking to a girlfriend about this. Could you imagine <laughs> if sex ended when the woman came? And he, was still, <laughs> and he hadn't gotten off. And he hadn't gotten off. Can you imagine the uproar that would be like, okay, bro, we're done. And he'd be like, what? But but I'm not what? like, oh, well, it's over. Like I that, am. So... So th- there, ergo, we're done. I've always, I've always approached sex, and this is maybe why Ashley married me, but like I've always approached <laughs> sex where like it's my, not job, but it's my pleasure goal or my, yeah, to make the girl come. And then when she comes, then I can come. It's like a game yeah. for him. Right. Yeah. It's like, he's like, I'm not, he, 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 he sorry, husband. He practices edging. So he knows, yeah. So he knows how to get himself to a peak Mm -hmm. and then roll it back so that he can last. That requires work. And that requires self awareness. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And the willingness to say, your pleasure is equal to mine. Your pleasure Uh, is, and yes, it is one of the reasons that I married you. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) Um, I'm going to insert something into my tip of the day. And I don't normally do this. So the number one, in my opinion, and in the opinion of numerous medical professionals, the number one libido desire killer among women anyways, is stress and anxiety. For my stat of the day, what we're going to do, Courtney, is I'm going to give you a statistic that I found fascinating. And I'm not going to tell you the answer until the end of the show. And you have to guess, and so does husband, and so does okay. the audience, what the statistic is. I'm bringing it. Okay. Women 
who experience high levels of stress or anxiety find it difficult to be sexually aroused or interested in stress. Women are also nine times more likely to be diagnosed with a stress-based illness or anxiety disorder than men are. And this is a lack of, um, this has a lot to do with toxic masculinity and the fact that we tell men they're not allowed to be stressed or have anxiety and that they have to do all of these things without having a mental illness. So I am not saying that men are not stressed and that they don't have anxiety. I'm just saying that women get diagnosed with it more. However, the stress could be coming from the following, uh, the following study found that women do nearly how much more housework and unpaid domestic work as men. So women do X amount more unpaid domestic and unpaid housework than men. This housework is often overlooked, even though it is laborious, uh, and it's often in addition to the additional job that they have outside of the homes. Working a nine-to-five, 40 hours a week, being the CEO, being a boss, being an author, being a therapist, being a, a teacher, whatever the case may be, women are then saddled with another job when they get home. How much more housework do women do than men? Husband, Kevin Willer. 50% Okay. I'm way off. <laughs> don't don't guess around that much because I'm clearly not. <laughs> what do you think, Courtney? Eighty-two percent more. Oof. So I'm saying I'm saying it's like a it's a single number. I'm gonna go ahead. Blank times. How many times? Oh, we're going time. Times. Oh. How many times more? I'm just going to say two times more. Two times more. That's a little, that's a little better. There you go. Yeah. I mean, I'd say it's like double, like it, it's like a whole other. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because of this additional work that we add on to the plates of women, and we are being very heteronormative right now, yeah. and we are talking exclusively right now about a heterosexual couple um, or partnered couples who are married and have a house that they share um, and also have children. I mean, I, I'm excluding myself in this. I don't. We don't have kids. So um, the housework in, in our house, we divide it up equally, and then we sit down, and every like three months or so, we sort of discuss like where we're at yeah. as far as finances and like responsibilities are concerned. Again, that takes a lot of self-awareness yep. and that takes practice. Yep. And we learned that from, I learned that from therapy. So that's something that's a tool that I've instilled that you need to kind of sit down and make sure that everyone is still on the same page yep. and everyone is still feeling like they're being heard and seen and that they feel like they're getting a fair shake. Um, I don't like the thing that says marriage is 50, 50. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a fucking ridiculous comment totally to make. Agree. Marriage is a hundred, a hundred. Yeah. It's a hundred, a hundred. Both people need to be giving a hundred percent to the relationship. Mm -hmm. And when one person is uh, maybe at a deficit outside of the relationship, working a lot, um, I have two jobs and I do the podcast. So sometimes Kevin will say, Hey, how you doing? How's your anxiety levels? Do you need me to take care of anything for you this week? Is there anything that I can take off the plate? I could come right then and there. Like I just yeah. fucking drop my panties and sploosh all over the place. Holy fucking shit. <laughs> It's literally like, that's a panty dropper yeah. line for all of, for any, any person out there who wants to know how to get somebody off, who has a uh, love language of acts of service, yep. that right there, what can I do for you this week? What can I take off your plate? Are you fucking kidding me? Do my laundry. Yeah. Do it. Do it. Do my laundry, baby. Do, yeah. do my laundry, I mean, naked. Absolutely. It's 
Do my laundry naked. Well, not only do I do that, but uh, if, if you know anything about Ashley, she does about her laundry every, like, four weeks. I do. Maybe? Yeah, once a month. Because she has that much clothes. It, what? Because they come that often in the mail, like, every no. day. So she's like, I can go about four weeks without doing the laundry. And then she's like, babe, can you do the laundry for me? And I'm like, that's going to take me two days, four days. Yeah. At least. It's washing full. That's love. That's love. That's love. Yeah. But the amount of extra extraneous work that we put on women outside of their regular job adds to stress. Yes. Do you think, do you agree that stress is probably the number one libido killer? I think responsibility is the number one libido killer. Explain yourself. So I think that when we have these responsibilities of things that we are responsible to or responsible for, that causes us to feel stress. So I think that the Mm -hmm. responsibility precedes the stress. If that makes sense. How do you manage responsibility in a relationship? How, how would you go about expressing that to a client who says, I feel I'm stressed out and that's why I don't want to have sex. I'm stressed. Yeah. I would help. I would tell them to make a list of everything that they're stressed out about or everything that they're responsible for. Show me what's everything that's on your plate. And one that will help them to get it out when see it. That's a big thing is when you can actually see all of the things that are in your head and realize like, okay, and then go through, okay, what can I get rid of? What am I doing out of obligation? What is it? I I just, it's a have to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. but then how do I feel about it? So helping them Mm -hmm. to work through their feelings around their responsibilities. A lot of times we just take on responsibilities and we don't really process how we feel about them. Like for example, Mm -hmm. being a, being a parent, being a caregiver, you know, maybe you have a, a, a partner that's sick or you have an aging parent and you take those on because that's the quote right thing to do. But you never sit and process how you actually feel about those responsibilities. The problem. That's really interesting. Oh, oh no, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you up. Um, oh, the problem is that when we don't deal with those feelings, they get stuck in our bodies. And so then mm-hmm. it becomes this like systemic issue that we're not able to address. And then we wonder why we're so tired and like we've got tension and we've got sort of like we're sick and all of these things. And we just don't give ourselves permission to be like, this fucking sucks. Like I'm so tired. And for her, that was a big libido killer. I know that sounds super silly. No, that's amazing that she was able to identify. Yes. It isn't just being a parent. It isn't just that I have to get up early. It's fuck these fucking ham sandwiches. I don't want to make these. But you have to have a... Oh, sorry. What? I was going to say, I bet you if couples did what you said in a couples therapy session and they said, okay, write down all your responsibilities, I guarantee you nine times out of ten, one person is going to have like 75% yeah. of the mm-hmm. chores that they do. And the other is only going to have 25%. And then they're going to be like, Oh shit. Oh shit. And that's usually the person that has the higher sex drive that has the lower amount of responsibility. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that tracks. That tracks for sure. <laughs> and it's, it's like when you think about stress and you think about anxiety and you think about, and we all have stress, stress is good. Stress is a good thing. If you didn't have stress responses, if you didn't know when you should be stressed out, you would die. Like you need to know, as my friend Alex says, you need to know if there's a tiger in the room. Right. But we don't live in 
in a place where we have tigers. Yeah. So our tigers become imaginary tigers. Mm-hmm. They become the deadline that we have. They become the PTA meeting we have to go to. They become the school lunch that we have to yeah. make. And it's how to navigate these imaginary tigers and maybe redistribute some of the responsibility or look at that responsibility and say, do I need to take on another fucking thing? Yeah. Like, do I need to say yes to this? Yep. Is it necessary? Yep. I, how how do people navigate parenting stress though? Like the stress that you can't. They're you made them. They're yours. Yeah. You, that's yours. You have to have that. So how do you navigate parenting stress in a libido situation? Yeah, I think. Gosh, I have a lot of thoughts on like this whole martyrdom motherhood approach. You know, we're taught like as women. You know, once you become a mom, it's like you give up everything, and you just are like. I'm not a woman anymore. I'm a mom and everything I do is for the the happiness and the betterment of my children. And I think that's bullshit. I think that we do a disservice to our kids and to ourselves. Like I think of myself, like I I'm 40 years old and I play in a German soccer league against girls that are at least half my age. And, um, my, and it, I go to, well, I used to go to practice like twice a week and playing games on weekends. Like that takes time away from my kids. But you know what? My kids think I'm a badass because I'm doing <laughs> something that I love. Right. right. Could, could I be doing like spending time with them? Yes. And do sometimes they come to my practice with me and watch or my son, especially he'll like, like play and whatnot. Yes. But, but the fact is that I'm choosing something that fills me up and fills my cup. And that's not encouraged in society for moms. Right. Right. It's not. It's yeah. it, I see it in our friends. I see it on social media. I see the happiest moms that I know do things for themselves. Yes. Without their children. Yes. I, we had a friend recently that said, uh, I don't remember what her, what, how old her kids were, but I think her youngest is six. And she was like, oh no, those fuckers know how to like get up and make breakfast for themselves. Yep. Like the older ones will take it. So I think some parents think they have to do everything for their kids because that's kind of their mentality and that's society's mentality. But <clears throat> I think it was, it was interesting to me when they said that because they were giving their kids the responsibility and be like, no, you're going to do these chores that I'm normally doing. You're going to do this and that's going to allow me time for autonomy and going and doing what I need to do for myself to feel like a person. And there's, I think we, as a, yeah. especially American society, think kids are very coddled. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, kids are coddled, but also moms are shamed. It, it isn't yeah, just right. that kids are coddled. It's that moms are told, oh, you, like my friend the other day, we had a, a drink after work and um, she had a, a beer. She's a mom. Her baby's just about to turn one. Uh, first, it's her first kid. And, mm-hmm. and she had a beer and she was like, oh, my God, I can't. Uh, somebody, one of our, it was Cinco de Mayo. So someone was like, let's do Pacifico and a shot of Patron. And she goes, no, absolutely not. I can't do a shot because if I get buzzed, I'll go to bed early and then I'll miss out on time with my daughter. And I'm like, I thought to myself, well, that's responsible. Good for you. Like you're, but she's married. Like her husband could hang out with the the kid if she had a night where she was like, I'm going to go to bed early. Like her husband would be there, but she has this mentality that I can't let loose. I can't have fun with my friends because if I miss out on five minutes of time with my child, I'm a bad mom. Right. Yeah. And where's the self. So my next 
set of, of items I wanted to discuss with you is how to combat stress anxiety that surrounds the responsibilities that we have. And you've already hit number one, which is embrace self-care and whatever that looks like for you, whether it's playing on a soccer league or it's um, going to a book club or it's uh, having brunch with your girlfriends every second Sunday of the month and having that freedom to have a mimosa or to eat a really big breakfast or, and then you're also asking your spouse step up and do something with the kids during this time that I'm embracing my self care and spreading that responsibility out among both partners. So self care is, is often in our society um, confused with overindulgence or spoiling yourself or being Mm -hmm. selfish. And as a matter of fact, self care is one of the least selfish things you can do because when you embrace self care and when you embrace being kind to yourself and taking time out of your day to do something that brings you joy, you are a better person to everyone in your life, coworkers, bosses, people on the street, your spouse, your kids, your friends. When you are taking care of you and you put your mask on first, you can then take care of other people. So no, self care Ah, is not. It's really, it's similar to like a self-care, but it's about finding things that bring you pleasure. It's about connecting with that part of you that lights up and you feel like, oh my gosh. And that looks different for, for everybody, but knowing that, that your pleasure is create is connected to your creativity and your inspiration. And then you start operating out of joy Mm -hmm. and excitement and not out of obligation and guilt. Right. Right. The other part of uh, learning how to navigate stress and responsibilities was another thing that you mentioned. Um, Know your Mm -hmm. triggers. So know what stresses you out. And the very first thing you should do is write them down. When my therapist, I was telling my therapist, I wake up at three in the morning. (laughs) I wake up at three in the morning and I have an ESPN ticker that's just in my head. And it's telling me Hmm. what I need to do. It's what it's telling me what I forgot to do. It's telling me what I might have to do. Um, it's coming up with suggestions of things I could be doing at at three in the morning. And I just lay there with it. And my therapist was like, get up, get out of bed, go into another room and write it all down and get it out of your body. Just get it the fuck out. And ever since I started doing that, the ticker does not go away. The ticker is constantly, I just told Kevin, I had a dream last night. (laughs) I had a dream right before I woke up. So I was like, I'm going to wake up. I set my alarm, set up the podcast room, get us some breakfast so that we're all ready to go. And I was dreaming and the dream was Kevin came into the room and woke me up and it was 4 PM. And in my dream, I cried because I wasted a whole I wasted an entire day. And I, in my dream, I was crying because I allowed myself to sleep till 4 p.m. And now that's me. (laughs) That is literally, if I was going to go to purgatory, it would be that I wouldn't be allowed to do anything that I had to just sit and Mm. waste. Like I can't even fathom that. So, Knowing that trigger for me was a huge yeah. breakthrough in my anxiety. Yeah. And when you have people write their stressors down, do you see the light bulbs go off when that happens? Yeah, I think they do, but then they also want to hold on to the stressors too. Like, because they, why? Because they serve a purpose. Like, it gives them an excuse to 
disable. Like it is a lot for some to allow themselves to connect with their pleasure. Why do you think that is? What is so scary for women about embracing their pleasure that they would rather be stuck in in stress related hell and tell their spouse no? Why, why yeah. would they rather stay in something so miserable than to find pleasure? What do you think is the fear behind that? I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on it. I think the, one of the things is it's, it's safer and it's something that we've also been conditioned. So when you're raised it's in a society where stress and busyness is, you know, given like a badge of honor, like no one is rewarding you for pursuing your pleasures, right? You're, you're chastised for that. Like stop fucking smelling the roses and get shit done. Yeah. Right. Like, so you're not rewarded for t- tuning into those things that br- don't you know, I care about you. So I worry about you, right? Like all of those. And when we step out of that and say, what if I start? Well, one, a lot of people won't give themselves that permission, mm-hmm. which is why they come and see somebody like me. And I'm like, bro, you want me to write you a permission slip? Cause I will, like, I will literally write you a permission <laughs> slip for pleasure because you are worthy. Who do I make yes. this out to? <laughs> to whom it makes There you go. There's my signature. <laughs> Have a nice day. But they, they don't, they, they are so scared of choosing themselves. That is awful. Yeah, it is. That is awful. Yeah. And so by, by allowing yourself, so that's work in and of itself, yeah. right? The work that you have to undo by reminding yourself that you do not have to live up to anyone else's expectations, reminding yourself that stress and being busy and accomplishing 9,000 tasks is is not going to get you the amount of gratitude that you could get from yourself by allowing yourself pleasure and joy in things. You're preaching to the stress choir. So I do, I do. When you said got to do all the things, I was like, I do all the things. I literally do all of the things. And I love the, I love the things. The things are great, but the things stop me from sleeping and the things stop me from sometimes having an orgasm. And I really like orgasms. Like, uh, that's part of my sexual, um, script, I guess you could call it. I, I am a person who says I want to have one. Like that's, that is my personal goal is to have an orgasm. I love that release. I love the feeling of it. I love having sex in general, but having an orgasm for me is important. And when I don't have one, I usually ruminate about why, and I can usually find out the answer within about two minutes or going into sex, I already know in my head, there's that ticker is flying today. Like there's no fucking Mm, way I can shut that ticker down in order to concentrate on having sex. And I just had this realization with Kevin the other day that I need some pretty serious mind body connection in order for me to have an orgasm. Mm. Like, It's not just a touch thing for me. I need to, I need to focus on, I have to be very present. I have to focus on the sensation, Mm. on the lips, on the tongue, on the clit, on the dick, on the vaginal canal. I'm focusing on these pieces, these body parts, these feelings and these sensations. And that is what helps me achieve orgasm. But I have to be present Mm. and physically and mentally in order for me to achieve that mind body connection. And if I already am not having a day where I'm connected to my body, I know I'm not going to have an orgasm. Yeah. If we have sex. I don't say no to sex because I still want to have it. Um, but I'll know ahead of time that yeah. this isn't happening for me. And that's another thing I see with a lot of women too, is that they are so disconnected from their bodies 
just overall in general, all of the time. And so no what causes that <laughs> many things. Um, we, we disconnect from our bodies because it doesn't feel safe to be in it. And so when we, it doesn't feel safe because we've been criticized for our bodies. The other, the other piece of this is seeking validation, which is something that you also touched upon community, um, finding other people who share in your experiences of anxiety, um, personal disconnect, emotional disconnect, finding moms that you can connect with who might be able to help you yeah. navigate pleasure and desire in a post mom, in a post baby body, um, finding other, uh, individuals in your community that yeah. look like you act like you behave like you and still have the same problems as you. What, what do you recommend yeah. that your clients do to find that validation? Where should they go and seek that out? So a lot of times with moms, they'll feel safe in a play group. And then from there, they can build friendships. Um, you know, I'm going to join a reading club or I'm going to join a knitting mm -hmm. circle or, you know, whatever. So, and, and the community here has been my soccer team. Like they have, we are from all different walks of life. Some of us are moms. Some of us are married. The one thing that we basically have in common is that we're Americans living in Germany. And even though we play in a German league, but um, <laughs> I have been so encouraged and just loved by them. And so, well, I think that when you find community and you find groups of people, yes. um, the other part of that is starting the conversation. Um, so you yeah. have to be able to, it's, I mean, it's, it's great to go to play groups and play dates. It's great to go to brunch, to go on walks. It's great to be part of a book club, but mm -hmm. unless you are starting a conversation about what it is you are afraid of or what it is you're stressed out about, you might have to be that voice so that yeah. other people can say, Hey, me too. Like yeah. I, I have that same issue or I have a similar issue. Or, oh my gosh. My friend has that issue. You guys should talk. Yes. Starting the conversation is one of, I think one of the hardest parts and one of the scariest parts for people. Yeah. Um, especially when it comes to talking about sex and desire, yeah. since both of those things, especially in our culture here are very taboo. Um, and they're not something that a lot of people talk about. All of our friends know that if they ever want to talk about anything sexual, I'm, going to be the first one to bring the beef. I'm here. I got it. I got stats. I got notes. I got research. I probably read a book about it. I probably have had a podcast about it. Who the fuck wants to talk? Let's go. Okay. So hold up your book one more time. I want everyone to be able to get a look at it. Okay. Um, not tonight, honey. Um, it is a wonderful, I'm, I can't wait to read it. It just came out. So I cannot wait to get my copy, um, and hopefully have it be part of a book club that I can attend. Yay. Uh, make sure you check it out. Where can they get your book? Yeah. So you can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Apple books, pretty much anywhere that books are sold. You can, you can get it. And you can get the workbook for free, you said? There's a link. Um, so if you do the Kindle version uh, or the ebook reader, there'll be like a direct link that will take you there. Fantastic. Um, these, the statistic of the day, by the way, women do three times the amount times. of domestic wow. unpaid work uh, wow. as their partners do. So three times. So what, so what are we so what are those guys doing? Are we just sitting drinking beers or apparently not a lot i mean the the whole watching you watching going on instagram I'm on, I'm on instagram most of the time yeah so that, and it's that it's this it's this societal norm that we have developed that women take care of the home but we also need two income households because yeah. child care costs as much as one income so yeah. uh, we need two incomes so we have two people working full-time but then that domestic side of things is still placed primarily on the female partner 
in that relationship. When we're talking about cisgendered heteronormative relationships, we're talking about um, a, a, a much bigger divide um, between pleasure, orgasm, and domestic housework. Um, when you look at uh, um, gay couples, lesbian couples, the orgasm gap is so small, um, so, 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 so small. Um, the communication is much better, and the division of responsibilities is much clearer. The boundaries are much more um, prominent in those relationships. Um, but I think that heterosexual couples are struggling because we still are bound by this binary and by these um, norms that we have placed in our society. So that number doesn't surprise me at all. And if you are in a heterosexual relationship and you're feeling some kind of way, feeling some sort of resentment or feeling like you are burdened by responsibilities, you may want to write them down and compare notes with your partner and see where you might be able to either offload something onto your partner or eliminate that thing from your life entirely if it's not serving you. So where can we find you, Courtney? Where can our peeps go to see you? Okay. Courtney Boyer coaching. Can you spell that out? C O U R T N E Y Boyer B O Y E R coaching C O A C H I N G. Dot com. Uh, yeah. And then that's all. Yeah, that's all. And my, that's also your yeah. Instagram, everything, Gmail, everything. Well, thank you so very much for being on the podcast. So proud of you and so excited for your brand new book. I am just ecstatic that you got this book out and that this information is out there in the world for people because I think that it's something that is not talked about enough. Um, Our libido and our desire and uh, how it fluctuates from person to person, from place to place and from time to time. Um, that we are living on a spectrum of desire and a spectrum of sexual pleasure. Uh, it's really important to tap into yourself. It's really important to take care of yourself. It's really important to um, list the ways that you feel you can uh, get more pleasure out of life and embrace joy. Um, and that's one of the biggest takeaways I think that we should have from this episode is to embrace joy, embrace pleasure, and know that that's not something that is selfish, that that is actually going to benefit you and your relationships. All right. You can follow us on Instagram at what's your position podcast. You can email us at what's your position podcast at gmail.com. You can call me at five, one, three, six, nine, six, nine, sex. Yes, that is the number. Leave us a message. Tell us what you're thinking and what you're feeling. If you have a suggestion for an upcoming episode, or if you'd like to be a guest, reach out to me. That is how people come on this show. Thank you, Jamie, for introducing Courtney and myself so that we can be friends. Yay. Thank you so much. Make sure you check out not tonight, honey, where Wherever you get books, Apple, Kindle, Amazon, um, all of the above, please make sure that you are kind to yourself. You find the pleasure today. Stay safe, stay kind, and stay sexy. I set out on a narrow way many years ago, hoping I would find true love along the Stay time or two Wiped my brow and kept pushing through I couldn't see how every sign Pointed straight to you That every long lost dream Led me to where you are Others who broke my heart They were like northern stars Loving arms This morning
much I know is true That God bless the broken road That led me straight to you You're making out, you start feeling your way downtown. One of you wants to make a move to Cunnilingusville, but you don't have protection. Dental dams are hard to use, hard to come by, and condoms taste like, well, condoms. Hundreds of millions of people worldwide have STIs that can be transmitted via oral sex. So let me introduce you to Laurels, a first of its kind product that provides protection, sexy style, and comfort. And it tastes like vanilla. Laurels for protection are FDA approved for STI protection during oral-based activities. And laurels for pleasure are the perfect cross between sexy lingerie and kinky toys. These thin and incredibly stretchy single-use silky latex undies are worn during fingering, rimming, oral sex, tribbing, and more. Head over to mylaurels.com to get your four-pack today. Be sure to use my code for a discount at checkout. What's your position podcast? All one word. And remember, stay safe, stay kind, and stay sexy with laurels. podcast wants to hear from you. Call 513-6969-SEX anytime and leave us a message. Maybe you have a question about anal. You have a fact about fisting. 
or you just want to say hello fellow human 513-6969-SEX call us we will play your message in an upcoming episode that's 513-6969-739 and remember stay safe stay kind and stay sexy What's Your Position podcast represents the opinions of Ashley Weller and her guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice and is intended for education and entertainment purposes only. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of error. Stay safe, stay kind, and stay sexy. Darling, darling, you know that we are sold out. This is fading, but the band plays on now. We're crying, crying, so let the velvet roll down, down. No heroes, villains, want to blame While wilted roses build the stage And the thrill, the thrill is gone Our debut was a masterpiece Our lines we read so perfectly But the show, it can't go on We used to have